happy Thanksgiving. It's almost there, and so we're going to talk about Thanksgiving a little bit, and a, really an odd topic. We're going to talk about fear and how it doesn't really, God is love, and we really don't need to fear him, but some people do, and so we're going to talk about that. Um, one thing you need to do, you should fear uh, Ashley if you mess up those tablecloths. So uh, really, don't be touching anything because, woo, she, anyway, okay, so um, Thanksgiving could have some fear. I, I, I did a kind of a family photo. I want you to notice the number of people, oh, whoa, whoa, I went the wrong way, the number of people and the amount of food. Look at that, look at that a little bit. And y'all know who's going to get his? Uncle, Uncle Claude or whatever, that guy right there, he's going to get his, I can tell you that. But we're going to go Thursday, some of us are going to be with family, today we're with family, and, and there's, there's things to fear even at, at Thanksgiving, you, you fear overeating or gaining weight, you, you, you fear having to spend time with your, you know, your insane relatives, uh, I'm going to do that, I'm going to be home, and, and um, you know, I've, I've said this before, we don't have a black sheep, we have a black flock, I mean, there's a lot of craziness that goes on, and my family, you, you worry about burning the turkey, I always burn, worry about uh, eating a piece of mincemeat pie, I think it's something else, and that just sounds nasty to me, and you can come up after it's over with, it's delicious, and I won't believe you, so I'm not going to, I'm just not going to believe you. Um, yesterday, uh, Elise and I went to um, the mall I thought, there's nobody going to be at the mall. It's rainy. Who's going to be out in the mall? So I'm thinking to myself, this is brilliant. Nobody's going to be there. We're going to walk through. Would you like to know who was at the mall yesterday? Everybody and half of Spartanburg. It was unreal how many people were at the mall. And one of my fears in the holiday season is slapping somebody and then having to say, I apologize, I'm a pastor. Uh, you know, I really... Um, because we're walking, and there are slow people. You know the, the flow of traffic inside the mall? Here, there's a rule that you should know. Get out of my way. That is the rule. You should know this. Everybody should know this. And I'm trying to walk, and these people are going slow, and they're holding hands. It's stupid. And it's like, just get out of my way. I've got someplace to be. Okay, anyway. This whole deal, this whole notion around fear is, is usually we don't know what to expect. And so, sometimes we fear God because we don't know Him very well. We're going to talk about that a little bit. I heard about this couple. For Thanksgiving, they decided to do something different. They, were, uh, they didn't want to go see family. They kind of lived far away. So they decided they were going to take a vacation for Thanksgiving to Yosemite National Park. And the husband had an idea around it, and the wife had an idea around it. And the husband's idea was they're going to you know, rent a tent and, and sleep under the stars. And the wife's idea was they were going to rent a hotel room and sleep not under the stars. And so they kind of debated about this, and she was a fe- she's fearful of animals and that sort of stuff, and he was like, no, there's no animals, you're not going get, to get attacked. And, and so they decided they would make their decision based on their conversation with the park ranger. They would ask, Are there, you know, how dangerous is it, and that sort of thing. And so they got to the park, they got to Yosemite, and they said to the ranger, you know, what are the odds of being attacked by anything? And he said, oh, the odds are really, really low. Uh, the bear population really hasn't migrated this far yet. And um, uh, there are two kinds of bears. And now her, her eyes get really big. She didn't hear the other part about there's not much chance. She heard there are two kinds of bears. And so she said, well, how do you know the difference? I mean, if I were to see one, how would I know? And he said, well, here's how you know. If the bear chases you up the tree and comes after you, that's a black bear. If the bear chases you up the tree and shakes the tree till you fall out, that's a grizzly bear. Uh, they stayed in a hotel that night. Now that, that's how they made the decision. So, 
you don't often think of fear with Thanksgiving or even with God, but some people do. And so the big idea for today is you don't need to fear God. Now, some people might. You don't need to. And I know the argument's going to be, well, what, doesn't it say in Proverbs, well, it says here in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you have to understand, the word fear here doesn't mean cowering or you know shaking. This means I respect I have a, a humble um, respect for someone who is bigger and better and smarter and powerful, and I should have a reverential fear of God. That doesn't mean I'm scared of Him. That just means I believe He is worthy of respect. It, it, it is a respect issue. Um, sometimes on, on television there's a commercial that comes on, and it's sort of set. This this actor comes in, and it's a, it's, it's kind of somber, and it's everything serious. And he starts talking about how you need life insurance, and you know you you need it for this reason, this reason. Then he he says, so my so your family, I need to buy life insurance so my family would be taken care of, in case the unthinkable happens. And he's talking about death as if death is unthinkable. Death is inevitable. It's not unthinkable. But what he's saying is. I don't know, are there things in your life that you just really choose not to think about? Like if I have a dentist appointment, I really don't want to think about that. I just don't think about it. I just kind of put it out of my mind. I, I know it's there, sort of, but I, I stuff it way back in the back of my mind. I've got an annual checkup. I kind of put that in the back of my mind. I know it's coming up, but I really don't want to think about it. And, and I think death is like that. It's coming up. We just really don't want to think about it. However, what you have to realize is that with fear... Fear is a powerful motivator. I mean, it really is motivational. Um, when you're driving, do you observe the speed limit because you love the law or because you're afraid of getting a ticket? Uh, I mean, I know for Christians, it's loving the law. But, but for the sinners, uh, sometimes it's fear of getting a ticket. When you, when you uh, uh, eat right and exercise, assuming you do, uh, do you do that because, um, because you love health or because you fear what the doctor might say. By the way, I did have my annual checkup this week, and they did blood work, and they said my triglycerides were really, really low, so I am gonna, I'm going to kill it for Thanksgiving. You know, it's, like, uh, it's almost like you should tell me that after Thanksgiving. Don't tell me the good news, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose everything I've gained on Thursday. I've just already decided I'm, I'm just throwing caution to the wind. Uh, is it, uh, just give me the bucket of lard. I'm just going to eat that. I, I just kind of how I'm going to go with it. Uh, do we... Do we uh, not walk through the woods in the dark because we love light or because we're afraid of tripping or falling in a ravine. I mean, fear is a powerful motivator. Do you remember your anniversary because you are in love or because you're afraid of your wife? I mean, you got to think these things through. I heard this great story about this uh, guy. He forgot his anniversary. Oh, hoo, hoo. and uh, she was mad. Oh, she was mad. And they went to bed that night, and he, she said to him, there had better be a gift in the driveway tomorrow that can go from zero to 100 in three seconds. You got me? And he said, I got you, honey, I got you. Next morning she wakes up, there's a little package out there, she opens it up, and it's a new bathroom scale. That is not where you want to go. Not where you want to go, right there, it's not good. Fear is a great motivator, but it's also an unwieldy taskmaster. And by that I mean, 
a lot of times, the irony of fear is I'm afraid that something's going to happen that I should be afraid of. I, I'm I like, I can't, I can't get ahead. I'm afraid of something that may, may or may not happen. Well, if it were to happen, I could then be afraid of it. But I kind of get the cart before the horse. I read this true story about a Russian uh, young man who, uh, World War II, he was going to war. They had recruited him to go to war, drafted him. And he was marching off to war, and he circled back, and he, um, uh, what's it called when you leave, um, not AWOL because he wasn't in, he deserted, he deserted, and he deserted, came back home, and his parents hit him in the goat pen under the goat manure pile for 18 years, true story, 18 years, you talk about unwieldy taskmaster, this, this guy was afraid of his own shadow, he, he hid under goat manure for, for 18 years. And then one day he just came out and said, I, I can't take it anymore. And, and fear is like that. It's just unreasonable. Now, let me show you a couple verses from 1 John 4. And, and we're going to kind of be, we're at 15, 16, we're going to go back to 9 in just a second. So don't be confused. But let's start here. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So I confess Jesus is, is the Son of God and, and now I have a relationship with him. I, I give my heart to Jesus. I have a relationship. That's what that verse is talking about. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. He showed it to us in Jesus. God is love. And we're going to look at that verse in just a second. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And we hear people say God is love and it is one of the most misunderstood, um, misused, small little verses in all of scripture. Because too many people think that means God approves of everything. Well, if God loves me, then he approves of, of what I do. It's not, not, not the case. In fact, let me show you a verse. For the Lord corrects those he loves. As a parent, I've got four daughters. Uh, I've had opportunity in my life to correct the girls, not because I don't love them, but because I do love them. If I see them going down a path that, that isn't good for them, I will tell them this isn't I love you, let me correct you. When I was a kid, I had fear of my parents, mostly when I was rebelling. When I would sin, uh, I knew that my parents might catch me, and if they were to catch me, I, I had fear. I lived in fear because I was doing wrong. Okay, God corrects those that He loves. He disciplines those of us He loves. Discipline and love aren't mutually exclusive. Those are things that go together. And so when it says, when we say God is love, I, I love the way uh, Lee and Les, uh, Leslie and Les Parrott, that's, they should have named themselves that, Les and Leslie Parrott. They're two psychologists. They wrote a book called Relationships. And they describe love like this, God's love like this. They talk about the sun. And their point is, the sun always shines. It, it just shines. The nature of the sun is to shine. It is to give light and warmth. That's what the sun does. Now, we can hide from it. We don't have to expose ourselves to the sun. We can lock ourselves in a room like this. There's no windows. We don't even know if it's sunny outside or not. We can, we can hide from the sun, but the sun's still, still shining. Right this moment, even though we can't tell, the sun is shining. And they make the point, okay, the sun is this way, and God is love. He is always loving. He, he loves. That's the nature of of God, And we can hide from God's love and we can run from God's love, but God's love is always 
shining. It, it just it's who God is. It's the nature of God. Now people will say to me, and this is a good argument. Well, what about bad things? When bad things happen, what about <laughs> why do bad things happen to good people? And, and people, I mean, it is a great question, and it's one I don't frankly have the best answer for. But I'll try to give you my best shot. First, you could say, well, nobody's really good. We all have a sin nature, and so to say bad things happen to good people, well, there aren't good people, so you could say that. Sometimes bad things happen because there are consequences of my, my actions. If I smoke for 25 years, six packs a day, uh, and I get lung cancer, that's kind of on me. It's really not God's fault. That's just the nature of I sowed these seeds, I reaped this harvest. It's just how it works. Sometimes I'm an innocent bystander of somebody else's sin. Maybe they're, they drink and they drive and they run their car into my car. That, that can happen. It's not really my fault, but I'm, I'm uh, experiencing the consequence of somebody else's sin. But then there are the people we call the innocent people. Uh, children mostly. Why would a child get le- leukemia? Or uh, why would a child in other countries, why do they starve? In this country even. Why do these things happen to innocent people? children and you know when jesus was teaching his disciples to pray he said one of the things you you pray for is you pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven god we want your will to be done here just like it is in heaven and the inference is god's will isn't always done here we we live in a fallen world and bad things do happen and and here's something that helped me with this question is to realize that the worst thing that ever happened happened to the best person that ever lived. The, the worst thing that ever happened happened to the best person that ever lived. Jesus lived a sinless life, and yet he died on a cross. In 1 John 9, it says, 4 9, it says, God showed his love for us uh, by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And so when I have these feelings of, you know, life is a lot like, life is seasonal. Sometimes I have good seasons and and I'm healthy, and all my people are well, and, and, and it's, I can pay my bills, and I feel like I'm in a good, good spot. And then sometimes I get into a bad season, and life's tough. And when I get in bad seasons, I have to remember this truth, that the worst thing that ever happened happened to the best person that ever lived. Um, and I think about Jesus. You know, the Bible talks about the fact, oops, that Jesus knew temptation. When I experience temptation, sometimes I feel like I'm all alone. Well, Jesus experienced temptation. The Bible says that uh, once he was baptized, that he went into the wilderness and Satan tempted him. And he tempted him just like he tempts us. And so when I'm experiencing temptation, I feel like God might not be there. But I do know that God's there because Jesus experienced the same thing. One of the coolest truths in Scripture, the Bible talks about, and and he kind of paints a picture for you, it's in Hebrews, that God is on his throne and Jesus is at his right hand. And it says Jesus is making intercession for us. He is taking up for us. So when I fall into temptation, Jesus is there to say to his Father, to, to the Heavenly Father, listen, um, temptation is like this. I, I've experienced it and that's what Joseph is experiencing. And he, he takes up for us. And when I become a follower of Jesus... I have an advocate with the Father. When, when I'm uh, betrayed, Jesus knew what it was like to be betrayed. Uh, 
Judas betrayed him. Uh, Jesus knew what it was like to be poor, to not be able to pay things. Um, there was one time that he owed a tax. Uh, it's a, a quirky little story. And he tells Peter to go fishing, and you'll catch a fish, and in the fish's mouth will be a coin. And, and then it happened. I mean, that's just odd. And Jesus had to pay taxes just like we do. It's just the way it was. Jesus knew what it was like to be weary. There were times it says that he was tired, and he had to, to uh, get away by himself. Jesus knew what it was like to be disappointed. Uh, There were times Jesus would say to his followers, How long am I going to be with you guys? Why do you not get this? And and I say that uh, to Dwayne and Chris all the time. How long am I going to be with you guys? You know, it's like, you you guys don't get it. Look, Jesus knows what it's like to be disappointed. He knows what it was like to be rejected. Sometimes we get rejected and we, we feel like we're the only ones in the world that have ever experienced this. Well, Jesus knows what it's like. Think about, you talk about seasons. Jesus, uh, one day is entering Jerusalem and it's called the triumphal entry and they're waving palm branches and laying their cloaks on the ground and they're saying, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, which means save. Uh, save us, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus enters with fanfare and in less than a week, He's crucified on Calvary's cross. You go from high to low. I mean, that, that's a, that is a, a, pretty, a pretty big sweep. To go from being revered to executed in a matter of five days is a pretty big deal. So Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected. The people who were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the next five days later are saying, crucify him. People are fickle. And you might have a friendship and all of a sudden it goes south and you think you're the only one that's experienced it. Listen, Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what sorrow feels like. The Bible tells us that he cried over certain things. He, he cried over Jerusalem. He cried when, when his friend, he found out his friend Lazarus was dead. He, he cried about things. We, he understands that emotion because he's experienced that emotion. Jesus knew what it was like to be ridiculed. Even on the cross they were saying to him, if you're the Son of God, bring yourself down. You got that kind of power? You got that juice, bro? Come on down. He knows what it's like, all these emotions. Jesus knew what it was like to be lonely. Think about the night he was betrayed. Jesus wants his friends to pray with him. Watch and pray. Just come help me. Come hang out with me. I just need you to be close. And it says Jesus took his friends and he went a little further and Jesus prayed and he's by himself, he's lonely, he's by himself. He prays to the point, it says, where his sweat, like drops of blood, I mean he is really pouring himself out in prayer and he is praying by himself and then he walks back over to see his friends and they are asleep. And all he'd ask him to do was watch and pray. And he was weary and disappointed and rejected and lonely and when you're weary and disappointed and rejected and lonely, he knows exactly how that feels. Good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. And this world isn't the end. We get too enamored with, it's got to be, everything has to be right here in this world. Heaven is perfect and this world isn't heaven. Which brings me to the second point. Jesus is the best example of God's love. God loves us, and we have to know that, and we don't need to fear Him. And Jesus shows us this, and it says this about Jesus. This is real love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. 
The cross is the ultimate expression of God's love for us. And when um, what this verse is saying is, because God loved us, He did something. When you love somebody, you do something. That's how it works. Uh, love causes us to do actions. Love acts. It's just how it works. I heard about this American young man. He was an engineer, and he needed to go to Ireland for training. And so uh, his girlfriend was a little worried about the, the beautiful Irish women. And so as a gift, he, she gave him a, a harmonica, and she said, I want you to practice this every night until you come home to me. And he promised that he would. And he goes, and this is the time before phone calls and that sort of thing. And so he goes to Ireland and he studies for a year. And when he comes back, he embraces her and he goes in for the kiss. And she said, before you kiss me, I want to hear you play the harmonica. I want to see if you actually did what you said you would do. See, love acts. And the beautiful thing, because Jesus died for us, we're invited into a relationship with God because of his love for us. He just loves us that much. Look at this verse. Uh, we, we saw it a minute ago. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. And they live in God. And we know how much God loves us, and we've put our trust in His love. He has invited us into that relationship. Some people fear God because they don't know Him. I mean, we're seeing these verses about God's love. Some people uh, don't. They're, they're afraid of Him because they really don't know Him. They don't know that this love is, is, is what He has for us, but He has it for us. I heard a story about Fred Smith, a great Christian businessman. He, and back in 2004, uh, was having some major medical problems, and he was in the hospital, and he had kind of gotten into a coma, and he was on dialysis. And before he went into a coma, he kept saying, I want to go home, I want to go home. And his kids got around his bed, and they made a decision they interpreted that to mean that he wanted to be off dialysis and be done with the pain and to go to his eternal resting place. And so they made that difficult decision as a family to take him off dialysis. And they were told by the doctors and specialists that, that he would go peacefully. It would take four or five days. And so they kind of... It's, it's, I don't mean to be morose, but they, they started death watch, a death watch. They sat in the room, and they knew he was going to die, and they were just watching. And they would sing hymns, and they would pray, and they would read Scripture, and they were just waiting for the end to come. And one night, about three nights in, Brenda, one of his daughters, was by, with him by herself, and, and he begins to cough. And it's funny because the coughing caused him to wake up. And Brenda leaned in, and she told him of the family's decision. You know, Daddy... Here's what we decided. We know you want to go home, and so we've taken you off dialysis, and the doctors tell us this is going to be peaceful, and, and soon you'll get to be with your mom and dad, and you know that, 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 that language. And <laughs> when she told him that, I love this part, Fred Smith's eyes got really big, and he, said, he, kind, of, he kind of whispered because he didn't have a lot of strength. He said, when I, when I said I wanted to go home, I want to go home to Dallas. I want to go, I want to, go home to my house, not home, home. I want to go to Dallas. And she starts to laugh and gets him back on dialysis. In fact, he made a complete recovery. Can you imagine um, that uh, uh, they were like giving him up? Think about this. A, a, this daughter of her dad, who you know loved, I think she loved him, but he did have money, so maybe not. Uh, uh, she loved him, but she didn't really know him. She, they, they misinterpreted what he said, and sometimes we... 
we don't know God because we misinterpret what He says. Um, look at this verse. As we live in God, our love, our love grows more perfect. As we develop the relationship, we know Him better. Sometimes we fear Him because we don't know Him. And then it says, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment because we know Him. There's nothing to be afraid of because we know Him. But we can face Him with confidence because we live like Jesus in this world. And the other reason we fear is because we don't live like Jesus in this world. Our relationship is a miss sometimes. I, I told you a minute ago, when I rebelled, uh, I, I was afraid of my parents because I knew I was wrong. And I knew if they found out, they were, there were going to be consequences. And you want to know what happened? I was afraid. I was rebelling. Uh, rebelling. I was afraid. My parents found out, and there were consequences. Just, it happened just the way I knew it. But here's what's funny. Once I was found out, my relationship with my parents was resolved. Now I didn't fear them anymore because I didn't have anything to hide from them. Right relationship means I have nothing to fear. But now if I'm living in rebellion, if I'm living in sin, I understand that what that means. That means I'm going to live in fear. I'm going to be afraid of being found out. When we enter relationship, there are expectations. When my wife and I got married, we... We didn't really discuss this fully, but we sort of talked about it a little bit, and it's really smart to talk about what are going to be, what's going to be the distribution of labor in our home. Who's going to do what? I mean, am I going to cook, or are you going to cook, or who's going to do what? Now, we decided in my home, this doesn't make it right, this is just how we decided, uh, this is just what we decided. Um, I, I take care of the yard, I take care of fixing stuff, I change the filters in the uh, furnace, and I do stuff like that. And Miriam, she cooks, she's better at it than I am, and uh, so that works out good for me. And uh, uh, laundry, uh, I just leave it in a box and it gets done. So I don't know who does it, but uh, it's all good for me, it's great. Um, I'm assuming there are little fairies that come and do the laundry fairies. But, but there's stuff that she does, and there's stuff that I do, and there's expectations. And Miriam has an expectation of how I, I treat people, how I treat other women. She has an expectation. It's reasonable. Uh, we have expectations around um, how we're going to raise our kids. And so we, we came up with a strategy. This is what we're going to do. This is not what we're going to do. When we punish, it's going to look like this. Um, we're not going to let them do certain things until they're this old. We talked about that. There's expectations. Miriam expected me to be a part of the parenting process. She didn't just say, I'm going to do it all. And I didn't just say, you're going to do it all. There, with a relationship, there's always an expectation. And when I'm in right relationship, there's nothing to fear. And if I'm in not relation, uh, right relationship, then there's something to fear. And... We fear God because we don't know Him. Maybe we don't know the expectations. Or we fear God because we've just, we're just chosen to not go the way He wants us to. I read an interesting story. Uh, Michael Brown is a pastor, and he had a, a friend in his church. And the friend in his church, they, he and his wife had a teenage son, and he rebelled. Dropped out of school, started running with the wrong crowd. One morning he came home, 3 o'clock in the morning, and he was just dead dog drunk. Came in and collapsed on his bed. And Michael Brown's friend, 
the wife got up and, and walked out of the bedroom. And so the husband followed because he didn't know where she was going. And he figured she was going to cry. And he wanted to be there to comfort her. And so he walks down the hall and he finds his wife in their son's room. And she's just stroking his matted hair. He's passed out. And the dad says, what are you doing? It's a great line. She says, he won't let me love him while he's awake. So I'm going to love him while he's passed out. God's love is like that. Even when we reject him, his love continues for us. Sometimes we don't let him love us like he wants to. Look at this verse. Such love has no fear because because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his love, his perfect love. If we live in fear of God, it's because we're not experiencing him the way he wants us to. We, we, we sometimes think if we rebel, then God can't love us. It's in our rebellion that God still loves us. We, that's really important. That's a big distinction. Just because I'm rebelling and sinning doesn't change the fact that God loves me. He still loves me. When I was in rebellion, my parents didn't stop loving me. They, they, and there were consequences, by the way. When they found out, there were consequences. how it works. But I never doubted their love for me. When I'm in sin, I shouldn't doubt that God loves me. God still loves me. He just isn't pleased with how I'm living my life. We should never question God's love. God corrects us because He loves us. It's part of who He is. Now, one last thing. We should never doubt God's love, but now when we have this experience, when we have that relationship, it's worth sharing. Look at 1 John 4.10. We've seen this verse, and I'm going to show you two more, the next two. This is real love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to sacrifice to t- as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now, the next two verses. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Since God showed us how to love, then we ought to share the love. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love is brought to full expression in us. In other words, if God loves me, I should love others. I should share that with others. It, it, should, it should change the way... Um, I deal with other people. Now, as I said, Thursday you're going to have a chance, likely, many of us, to be with people. Maybe we don't appreciate all of them. But, but I, I started to think differently just a little bit, and I'll, I'll show you how. I was at the store the other day. I was shopping, and, and I don't know if you ever go to a store, but there's a rack of stuff, uh, clothing, and you look at that, and has anybody, just raise a hand, anybody, has anybody ever looked at certain clothes and said, who wears that? Who in the world, y'all aren't snobs like me. I'm a snob. I look at that and I say, who thinks that is attractive? I, 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 saw, I saw a shirt the other day and I'm like, what frame of mind would you have to be in to think that looks good? There's no, there's no nothing in my mind can make that look right. I just could, I couldn't see myself wearing it. I couldn't see anybody wearing it. It just is like, that, that is, uh, of course this is coming from a guy that wears plaid every week. So uh, what do I know? But 
I was like, oh, that is the ugliest, the ugliest thing I've ever seen. Usually it's high fashion stuff. You know, it's like, come on, you know why we're in that. Now, if it's in the store, somebody bought it to sell, right? Every, every store, Macy's, Dillard's, whoever, they have something called a buyer. And a buyer goes to these fashion shows, and they look at stuff, and they, they, they figure out, okay, we can sell this in, in Greenville, South Carolina, right? Now, if I'm, uh, if I'm selling stuff in Chicago, I might sell different stuff. If I'm selling things in L.A., I might sell different stuff. But there's a buyer for the store here in South Carolina, and that buyer said, somebody will buy this. We don't know who it is, but somebody will buy this. Somebody else thinks that is a good idea. It's called the designer. There's a designer somewhere, and this person, man or woman, this person designed this clothing, these clothing, this clothing, and they said to themselves, this is a winner. This is awesome. I love this design. And they sold it to somebody. And the buyer bought it, and they brought it. And somebody is going to like that. So people are like this, right? There, there's a rack of people for you. And you say to yourself, who could even like them? It's sad, but it's true, right? Uh, I don't even know how you tolerate these people. But, 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 but. And this is how it changed in my mind. These people have a designer. His name is God. And God thought, hey, that, that's a good idea. This person is a good idea. I love this person. And then there's a buyer. His name is Jesus. And he went to the cross so that this person could be saved. And every person that we encounter, while we might not see the beauty in that person, God is the designer and Jesus died for him. He's the buyer. They're that important. It's really important. And what I consider appalling, God considers appealing. There's some people that we don't get. We just don't get it. We don't understand them. But when it says here, no one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love is brought to full expression in us. And people who we might not find appealing or attractive they can still see Jesus through us. Nobody's ever seen God, but <laughs> it's important. But if we love each other, if we love people, if we treat people the way that God wants us to be treated. There's an old song that said, um, a bell isn't a bell until you ring it. A song isn't a song until you sing it. Love in your heart wasn't put there to stay. Love isn't love till you give it away. We're made for that. Let, let me end with one more illustration. John Stott, this brilliant, brilliant uh, Christian thinker, explained it like this. A goldfish is designed to live in water. That, that is, their best life is in water. If they get out of water, they don't last long. It's not their best life. Now, sometimes the goldfish might think, hey, there's, it's freedom out there. I'd like to be out there. But if the goldfish was out there, not in the bowl, it's not life. It's not life. It's unlife. Their best life is in the water. And a Christian, the best life is when we live in God's love. It is the way we were designed. In fact, the Bible tells us that we were created in God's image. And if it says God is love, then we're, when we love, we best express 
we're closest to the way God wants us to be. So we don't have to fear God. In fact, God, God loves us like crazy. He loves us like crazy. We don't have to fear Him. But when we experience God's love, we have an obligation. So we can be thankful for a couple things. First, that God loves us, but next, that God allows us to share that love with others. He gives us this opportunity. We have the potential to shine God's love and light on others. So this Thanksgiving, when you're around people or you go to the store, sometimes you're going to be in the mall and those people are going to be slow in front of you. Uh, Don't slap them down in the love of Jesus, even though I know it's tempting. When we look around, I like to people watch. And when I look around, when you're people watching, here's what I want you to remember. They have a creator that thinks they're great. And they have a buyer who went to the cross for them. And maybe you're thinking about yourself. (laughs) Maybe you need to hear this. God thinks you're great. Jesus died for you because he thinks you're worth it. Sometimes I think it's got to be me projecting that onto somebody else. What if it's me thinking about me? Your Creator loves you. Jesus died for you. That may be the truth you needed to hear today. Father, we sit in awe what you do for us, how you love us. And we don't always understand why you do what you do, and this world is jacked up sometimes, and we don't understand that. And things don't always go the way we think they ought to, and we kind of question your wisdom. But none of that changes the fact that your love for us is endless and boundless. Thank you for loving us, even in our sin. And when we run from you, you don't run from us. And I pray that we might be compelled to get in the right relationship with you, to embrace that love, and then to share that love. Help us to be those people. Because if we were those people, I think our community would change. Help us to love you because you've loved us. And help us to accept and embrace the love you have for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.